If you would turn to 1 Timothy with me, uh, chapter 4 today, we have been uh, tracking for the last number of weeks through 1 Timothy in a series called Church, Why Bother? And um, it's been really fun. There's been some topics that have been quite quite amazing, actually, to just go over and have conversation about. I greatly appreciate uh, many of the conversations that I've had with people in light of, of the teachings, uh, from whether email or other things. It's been, it's been great, and I look forward to more. And just always putting myself out there, man, if you have more questions or anything about what we're teaching on Sunday mornings, you should be, as we'll talk a lot more today, versed in the Word of God, and having conversation is a healthy thing. And um, today, we're going to go a little bit further in uh, 1 Timothy, starting in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, really looking at Paul's uh, writing in charging Timothy to stay firm in the faith and to not depart from the faith and teach the church the same. And today, I'm, I'm reminded, unfortunately, today, as I'm, I'm, I'm about to teach on this, I'm, I'm reminded of the many times for the last 15 years as I've been a pastor, and maybe before that even as just a follower of Jesus, how deeply saddened and overwhelmed I've been over the years when I hear of close friends who studied with me to be pastor or people I've known for a long time in the faith that have walked away from God. It's, it's something that burdens me, it overwhelms me, of, of seeing those who once called Jesus Lord that have walked away, that departed from the faith. Knowing that God still loves and cares for them and longs for them, and really the prodigal son is an amazing story where God is standing with open arms every morning, looking on the horizon, waiting for them to run back home. But I don't know about you, but even there's been some big ones, even well-known, famous pastors that have... um, just departed and said, I'm no longer a believer. I don't believe what I used to preach. And there's many in this season that are going through what we would call deconstruction. And I would say that we don't need to necessarily always be afraid of that because sometimes deconstruction is this, just them wrestling with, what did I really believe? Do I really believe what I believed? Like my mom and dad taught me these things, but do I really believe them? And so they're maybe just dismantling some things just to rebuild it. So we don't always have to be afraid of it. The Spirit of God always wins. And truth always prevails. But um, it just overwhelms me sometimes. And if I can just be quite candid with you, sometimes I wrestle with what God is keeping me from doing the same thing. Am I? What, what, what's, the, what's the factor that's keeping me in the faith or firm in my faith. Because you know what? I just want to be very open with you, whether you're watching online or here. We all wander. We all struggle. That's from me, top top to bottom, Pastor Chris on the screen, the most spiritual individual you've ever met, no matter what church you grew up in. uh, you, You could look like you have it all together, but we all doubt, all of us. And doubting is actually a part of the faith. And we all wrestle and struggle. But every time I experience a close friend or colleague that departs or someone I've known for a long time, it always causes me to wonder, Lord, what is it that's keeping me grounded and anchored when things are good, bad, ugly, or you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley? What's the things that keep me anchored in the faith? Well, today, I want to look at some things that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy 
that are for him to teach and the things that, that keep people anchored, I would say this is not exhaustive. This is not the only things. There are many, many, many more things, but I want to teach on what's here in God's word and stick to that. And what I want you to see today is this. I want you to see to keep the faith, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch the way you are, your life, the way you're living, and what you're, what you're, what you're hearing and listening to, what, you're, what the Word of God is being taught. Watch that closely to remain uh, faithful, to keep in the faith. And um, I just want you to see three things that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, to keep watch over, to teach, to exemplify, all of these different things. Um, before the church that he's leading. And so let's start with verses one through five, read them together. And uh, this is what it says, 1 Timothy 4, one through five. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us at the end of the day. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the uh, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So what I want you to see first is that Man, one of the ways we to keep the faith and watch our life is really to, to, at the end of the, like, we affirm what is good, is what the Apostle Paul is saying here, to affirm what is good. So Paul is writing because in his time, in Timothy, in the pastor that he's, that he's, that he's, that he's leading in, in Ephesus, there are some false teachers. Now I'd say, it's the same with us today. I'll say it again later. Man, you just really got to be careful what you're watching on YouTube, what books you pick up from the Christian bookstore. What, what, it's not all sound teaching. And I'm not saying that you just, anything that we do is sound. I'm just saying you need to know what sound teaching is. And he says there, 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 there's times where there's false teachings. And he says in later times, and, and what he's really meaning by that when he's writing to Timothy is, is the time between the ascension of Christ when he, he rose from the grave to his return. And we're living in that time. Christ hasn't yet come back, but he ain't here. So we're living in that dynamic period. And he wants Timothy to not be caught off guard of the reality that, that this is going to happen. Some are going to depart. Some are going to walk away. And he says that the departure is going to happen and it originates from false teaching. And that's why I say to you, we must ground ourselves in the Word of God. We must be careful what we're bringing in as we'll, we'll talk about more. Because at the end, when you think about it, false teaching is what he's saying, the, 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 the baseline of why people fall away. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Those that I've tracked with and walked with that are really struggling and have walked away, they've caught themselves in teaching that is not sound, that is not right. And, and, the, and, and it says here, demonic uh, teaching. Now again, I'll, I'll come back to this. It's not as though they're sitting before worshiping the devil. That's not what he's saying, but it just originates. We'll get there in a moment from false teaching that gets caught up and you get overwhelmed by it. And it comes from the spiritual realm, he says, and it's to deceive believers and for us to embrace the lies of the devil. And he says that it's those who have consciences that are seared against God that they are so 
walked away from the Lord, that they're not in tune with the Spirit of God, and their consciences are seared, and they're doing the opposite. And, and really, this is the nature of all false teaching, is to distort the Word of God. Do you realize that? That, that distorting God's Word is really at the, at the baseline of all false teaching, and, and these false teachers are declaring that marriage is not good, and certain foods are to be for, forbidden. And really, I think the Apostle Paul is going all the way back to Genesis 1 as he has throughout the letter, and he's, he's calling on and remembering, if you remember what, what God did when he taught or when he created, what did God say after every day when he created? This is good. When he creates like Adam, and then Adam is alone, and he's like naming animals, and he can't find a partner, and he finds Eve, or God creates Eve, and he, the first marriage ceremony, he walks Eve down the aisle, and Adam's there, and he's like, this at last is bone of my bone, of flesh of my flesh. Man, what does he say at the end of that? It is very good. That's where all women should be saying amen. Like, yeah, God, first time God said it, it was very good is when woman was created, Right? It was because man was not good to be alone, and it was very good. So he's playing on that all the way in the, in, in the background, is that marriage was created by God, and all things that God created, it was affirmed in Genesis, they were good, right? And so Paul is saying that God has made and, and given us the potential for all things to be good, therefore it should be received with thanksgiving and not to be avoided, there's a potential here. We'll get back to this. How we pursue God or, God's, or godliness of, of his creation is following his word and pursuing him in prayer. Um, where we find, like, how do you know what to affirm what is good and to reject what is bad? From God's word that has been spoken and given to us, and that's how we learn what it looks like for us to affirm or to not affirm. There's a similar discussion in the church of Corinth when the apostle Paul writes, uh, to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he writes of this in verse 10 and verse or 10, chapter 10 and verse 31. He says, So whether you eat or drink, and then he's like, Hey man, those are great things, and I want to cover all the base, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And he says, Man, whatever you're doing, God has given us the opportunity that man, whatever he has made, we can use to glorify him. And, and as we are to pursue and receive the good things of God with thankfulness. That's one of the ways that we, we glorify Him in all that we do. And, and man, one of the ways that we watch over our lives is by affirming what is good. But how in the world are you to affirm what is good if you don't know what is good? And the way in which we affirm what is good is through the Word of God, which we'll see here as he continues to write. He says, really, the origin of, of all false teaching comes from its roots are really demonic. Now, I would love to do a series on angels and demons and all of us to have a healthy conversation of what that is. Sometimes I think we go overboard. Like people are like, oh, the devil's against me. I got a flat tire. And, and we're just a little bit overboard. I'm not saying that's not the devil. I'm just saying it goes lower. And then other places, we're just completely out of it. We're like, yeah, right. All that spiritual stuff's just kind of weird. And I don't even know if it's like, Whatever. So in the middle, there is a, a, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces. And, and the origination of, of false teaching, what the Apostle Paul, again, is going back to Genesis with, is demonic. He says it there, that they've been chasing after the, the, the teachings of demons. And you're like, like I said before, it's not as though they're like set up a shrine and they're like, man, just letting demons come and teach them, whatever that would even look like. I don't know. 
But he's saying it's demonic. It gets its roots in the beginning from the devil. If you remember the story of creation, right? Satan is there with Eve. And what does Satan do? He doesn't discount God's word. He distorts it. He doesn't say, don't listen to God. He just says, man, I don't think you understand it properly. He comes to Eve with his first question. What does he say? Did God really say? So he's always questioning, does, is God really restricting you? And then he goes on to challenge God's word by declaring, you will not surely die. Like, remember, God told him, if you eat of the good tree of good and evil, you will surely die. And he's like, but did God really say that? And then secondly, did, if he, like, do you really think you'll die? And he wasn't lying. He was just distorting, right? They wouldn't surely die right on the spot, but they would eventually. So now death enters the equation. And they wouldn't surely die right away. They wouldn't be struck dead. But now they're spiritually going to die. And now we have the need of Christ to bring us alive, right? So he wasn't lying, but he was distorting the truth. And I'm telling you right now, this is what happens with the word of God. There is truth in it, and it's distorted to, to, to bring us to the side. And it often finds itself in some pretty far pendulums that Christians wrestle with. You see, teaching today follows the same pattern. It distorts the Word of God. And on one side, it seeks to give people license to do whatever they want to or what they shouldn't. And on the other side, it, it seeks to give people legalism to tell them to reject what God created as good. And you have this pendulum of license and legalism. See, license is prevalent today in the church and in false teaching today in the church. Man, don't worry too much about your sin. God's not that concerned about it. He loves you. There's grace, and let's just be okay. God will forgive you tomorrow. And just really does not put a high priority on holiness and living according to the ways of God. And there's a lot of other ways that license finds its way. I mean, you, you meet with people all the time. Like, you know what? At the end of the day, you should... You should be living, or you should, you should, it's no problem to have sex with your partner before you get married, because you know what? You should probably express yourself in that, but God's word clearly speaks again. It's okay. We're not living in Bible times, man. But the word of God doesn't change. Like, the, the license is like, you know what? God didn't restrict alcohol, but you know what? I'm constantly getting drunk, and every weekend I walk into church with a, with a hangover because of the weekend before. Like, there, there's a thousand ways we could talk about license where we are not following the Word of God to live up to the standard of the Word of God because the grace of God prevails over all of my sin. Amen? That is true, but there's some pretty starch words in the Bible that say, what should we could do? Continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, grace is all in... Yeah, but grace will abound. It's all good. He says, God forbid... Those of us who are in Christ should strive and live according to it. So that's one side. And the other side is legalism. It's restricting the good things that God has given us. It's heaping up more moral laws on top of the other ones. It's making traditions more important than the Word of God. It's saying, well, I can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, because there's this tradition that we have in the church when God's word says, no, this should be open and, and experienced or, 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 you know, enjoyed. Or whatever, you can, you can think of a thousand examples if you grew up in a legalistic culture. And both are wrong. God doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. But God doesn't give us legalism and a, nor a law to follow. 
He gives us freedom in Christ who follow after the ways of Christ. Right? But how do we know what those are? Because there's false teachers teaching license, and there's a lot of false teachers teaching legalism. And in the middle is Jesus. In the middle is following after the ways of God. In the middle is calling out what is good. And either way we swing, it, it, it seeks to distort the word of God and really can, can be avoided through the word of God and prayer that we would be in the word of God. I mean, the Protestant Reformation was about sola, all these solas, and one of them was sola scriptura, that it would be about the Word of God. And one of the big hang-ups was that, that the Reformers wanted the Word of God in the common people's hands. Why? So we would know what God has for us, and we wouldn't just have to wait for others to tell us what the Word of God says. We can, on our own, study and know and call out what is good for us. Man, to remain in the faith, we need to guard our life and our person to continue to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God and engage Him in prayer. We'll go back to this here now in a moment. So, yeah, we need to, we need to affirm what is good, right? That God has given us good things. We should enjoy them with thanksgiving and walk in freedom of them, but not a license to do whatever we want, but also we train ourselves in godliness. Now, this is a fun one because it has so many rich illustrations for us in day-to-day life. Look with me in verse 6. If you put things, if, excuse me, if you put these things before the brothers, so he's calling them to present these to his church, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Refra- excuse me, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9, this, this, or excuse me, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. So the Apostle Paul is saying we should train ourselves in godliness, right? So Paul, Paul calls now to put these things, like put these things before the church, that the people would see them, that they would know them, your congregation, that you're, you're leading. And he says part of the way to guard your life and, and your doctrine is by teaching the truth of God's word to the church, that we would know the word of God, we would see it, we would experience it, and it will affect the people of God and Timothy. He's saying, man, this is, this is amazing. And he gives them a series of commands. So as, as a as a disciple, Timothy is Paul's disciple. He says, man, you should do these things. And the first is, he says, don't be distracted by myths that will only distract you from the teaching and training of God's people. These are silly. Like, don't, don't chase after them. He says, rather, the second part of the command, be trained in godliness. And he uses this analogy of physical training of working out, really, or, or an athlete. And this isn't normal. This would have been very normative in their culture at the time. I mean, the, the gymnasium in their day was one of the pillar elements of the Greco-Roman world. And so for them, this would have spoken to them. And he says the greater gain 
comes from being trained in godliness because it not only impacts this world and this life, but it impacts eternity in the new creation. I don't know if you know this today or if you're joining us online, that the only thing that was created to live for all, for, for eternity, is, is human beings, the soul of individuals. And what we strongly believe is that, man, one day we will be with God for all time, and we will be in the new creation with him. And he's saying, man, bodily training is of, of good, but what is more important is, is spiritual training, because it not only impacts this life, because physical training, it impacts this life, but more than that, spiritual training actually impacts the life to come. So a lot of people use this as like, man, I don't need to work on it, I don't need to eat anything, and I can do whatever I want. I'll just tell you. That's actually not the interpretation. So it's not an excuse to, to be addicted to caffeine or, or addicted to food or, or not take care of what is literally called the temple of God. And actually, one of the stewardships that we have in this life is our health. 100%. We have a lot of things that we're called to steward, and our health is one of those things, our life, right? But that's not where he's going. He's just saying more important to that is spiritual and godliness and godly training at the end of the day. So Timothy here is, he's saying, man, this is my analogy. Man, I want you to be successful in ministry and the people to remain faithful. Man, you have to train yourself in the things of God. Now, he just tees up an illustration for you as you read the Word of God. This, This analogy of physical training could give us an amazing picture of what's required to train for godliness. You might be like, well, what does that mean, Jim? Do I, like, I wake up and I do push-ups on my Bible? Like, like, what kind of stuff are we talking about here? Like, we squatting the King James Version or what? Like, what do you train for godliness? Well, it's, it's pretty amazing the picture that it, that it gives, right? So, so a, a, an athlete, when it trains for physical competition, there's some key elements, right? That they, they have to actually first exercise, that they actually have to do the things with movements and strengths and, and, and agility and all the different stuff that they train for. Tonight we're going to see a, an amazing, some of the best athletes in the world just wreck each other as we scream at our televisions, right? And, and they train. When you look at their training, it's unbelievable to get their bodies into the condition that they need to be in. But there's a second component, something that's taken me a long time to learn. When you can train all you want, physical training, but there's another element. It's called nutrition. That's the one we don't like because, man, it's not that hard to walk on the treadmill, and it's great to, like, lift weights, but I still like eating pizza every day, right? I like French fries. Doritos and Mountain Dew, anybody? Can I get an amen? Like, I had to give that up, right? Because there's a second element. It's not just physical training. There's a nutritional aspect to it as well. So there's an input and there's an output. That is, that is required in training. It's so similar to what we are called to in godly training, right? Through God's Word, we provide our, provide our spiritual life with nutritional spiritual necessities through the Word of God in prayer that is internal. It's like nutrition. I have to take it in. And man, I can't tell you enough, what you take in today in your culture will impact the way you live. Man, you want to know, like, just let me look at your Netflix account. Let me look at the, at the things that you're watching, the things you're reading, the things you're listening to, and I'm telling you, it will impact the way you live, the way you feel, your anxiety level, and all of the above. 
What we bring in is utmost of importance. But then there's also an output, right? As we seek to practice through spiritual disciplines. Right? There's a ton of different ways through fasting and meditating on Scripture and silence and solitude and simplicity and confession and generosity and all the things that God calls us to walk in like exercise. And then there's the other thing of taking in the Word of God and prayer that it might impact our lives. You see, many times we can get caught up in a lot of the externals, and we'll come back to this in a moment, but how much and what are we taking in each day in spiritual nutrition? I mean, I'm jumping way ahead of myself, but if this is your spiritual nutrition, you will be an anorexic Christian. You will be depleted of the nutrition to walk in godliness in the world we live in if this is what you're depending on, my subpar preaching. If that's what our, our intake is, we will never be able to compete at the highest level in what God has for us. The second is much like it. Man, if you're not practicing generosity, you will become a lover of money and stuff. You will. It's hard enough even with generosity in the world we live in. If you're not practicing silence before God where you just go before God, what is it you want me to hear, know, or do today, Lord? If we're not practicing spiritual disciplines like fasting and, and, and prayer and like, how, how, do we, how do we expect, this is the game we play in Christianity, how do we expect to compete against someone who's described in Scripture that is like a lion roaring and seeing whom he might be able to devour? Like, we just think that we're going to be like David because we're a believer. Instantly, we're going to grab a, a lion by the beard and strike him dead. That, that's just not practical. So, so we'll get there in a moment, but this has to be of utmost importance. The Word of God, prayer, spiritual disciplines, and the end all is not reading the Bible. The end all is not prayer. The end all is not spiritual disciplines. The end all is knowing the God of the universe and impacting our hearts in such a way that it impacts the way that we live. Well, well the last thing that he says is we are, we are to be constant in our devotion to Scripture. I've already kind of gone there, but continuing in it, in verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. Like, don't be bashful about it. Let no one despise you for your youth. All the young people say amen. Like, don't look down on me. We'll get to that. But, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct and in love, in faith and in purity. That's a call for young people today, I'll tell you right now. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of leaders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a pretty strong command, right? There is a ton there. So Paul commands Timothy to teach these things, to really bring them before his congregation continually. And he knows that in doing so, you're dealing with false teachers, and the false teachers may be older. 
And leading the congregation, I know from first experience being a younger individual, I crossed that line this last week, I'm no longer younger, I was 40 on Friday, I am now older, okay? So you can't look down on my youth because I'm old now, so it's fine. But, but I know what it's like, as I've been doing this for a long time, to try and lead as a young man with many different age demographics. And so he's saying, man, I know this is going to be challenging, there's going to be older congregants, maybe who have been older in the faith. And he's saying, man, don't let them look down on you. But hey, I'll just tell you, most people believe that Timothy was around 30 years old. So it's not like he was like 15 trying to lead a congregation. It's like 30. And, and he says, man, don't, don't let them look down, but be an example. So man, if you're a young person here today, yeah, man, let's, take for, let, let's just push forward the kingdom of God and lead as young people in the church. Don't just say it. He says, be an example. Man, there's a lot of words used there as be an example. Be an example in, in, in all that you do, right? In your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. So like, man, young people today, I'm looking forward to the next generation rising up and leading the church. I'm hoping that I don't have to do it forever. I'm hoping the next generation, my kids and others, push forward the kingdom of God. But it's not just saying it, it's leading it. It's walking in it. So this is for you today, young people. It's for us, old people as well, right? He says, man, this is, this is good. And he's, he's like, don't let them look down on you. And he says, to make Scripture the central part of the church. I hope you know, when you gather in this place, our job is to put the Scripture at the central element of this church. And everything we do, whether it's singing, we want to sing Scripture. If it's, if it's praying, we want to pray Scripture. It should be grounded in the Word of God. So I have this Woodside Bible Church in the center of our name. And he's saying, man, through your life and through your teaching, you will be visibly distinct from other teachers, these false teachers, if you ground yourself in the Word of God. You, you are constant in your devotion to Scripture, as we said. And he's reminding Timothy of the centrality of God's Word and remaining consistent and devotion to it in his ministry. And he wants it to be preeminent. Scripture is to be preeminent. When you leave this place, I don't want you to think this is Jim's idea. I want you to think Jim spoke what God's Word said. When you leave here, I don't want you to think like, man, this church has some great views on what's happening in culture. I want you to think the church has tried us to point us to the Word of God and how to discern how to live in the culture. That's it. Centrality of everything in here is Christ is preeminent and the Word of God is central, right? I read this, this, this awesome story I just want to read it for you because I think it's, 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 it's a word for us today, for a lot of us in this room, myself included. There's a story, it says this, a story is told of a devout father whose son was studying for ministry, and the son decided to go to Europe for an advanced degree, and the father was worried that his simple faith would be spoiled by a sophisticated, unbelieving professor. He said, don't let them take Jonah away from you, he admonished, figuring the swallowed by a great fish story might be the first part of the Bible to go. And so he's worried. Like, man, if you go to some place and some liberal professor wants to tell you that the story of Jonah is not in the Bible and you're going to abandon your faith, right? Two years later, when the son returned, the father asked, do you still have Jonah in your Bible? The son laughed, Jonah? That story isn't in your Bible. The father replied, it certainly is. What do you mean? Again, the son laughed and insisted, it's not in your Bible. Go ahead and show it to me. The old man fumbled through his Bible looking for the book of Jonah, but he didn't find it. 
At last, he checked the table contents, the table of contents for the proper page. And when he turned there, he discovered the three pages comprising of Jonah had been carefully cut from his Bible. His son said, I did it before I went. What's the difference whether I lose the book of Jonah through studying under non-believers or you lose it through neglect? And that is a point for us today. While the father was so worried that the son would be lose the story of Jonah from his Bible, from false teaching, he says to his dad, I cut it out two years ago. You didn't even know it was gone because you've been neglecting your word, the word. And he was making a point, not that his dad necessarily neglected the word of God. Maybe he read every other book. I don't know. But the point is for us. Man, we don't just need to be afraid of false teaching. We need to be afraid of neglect. Apathy runs rampant in the church today. I'm apathetic towards the things of God. I'm here. I'm okay. There's a lack of devotion. And it can be just as deadly as any liberal theology you see there today. I've seen a lot of people in this church over the last number of years really rise up and be like, man, we shouldn't do this and don't do that. And, and you know what? We need to make sure as much as we are worried about false teaching and mission drift in the church, we need to be worried about false teaching or mission drift in our own spirit by lack of digging into the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, and allowing to change our heart and our minds. Because we can all stand up for like, man, we need to make sure we're following the Word of God, but if we're not personally following the Word of God, can I just ask you, what's the, what's the difference? We can know the truth, or we can, we can, we can shout from the rooftop that the truth needs to go, needs to move forward and needs to be held to, but if the truth is not penetrating our heart and soul, what is the point? Right? And so the Apostle Paul, that is his point. Be, be devoted to the Scriptures to experience transformation and love and goodness. So as we finish, I, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Like, what does that look like for you? Are you committed and devoted to the Word of God? Not me. Like I said, if this is all you depend on, you will be a malnutritioned Christian. Several years ago, LifeWay Research did a study on the spiritual practices and helped lead uh, to the greatest spiritual maturity, like what practices led to the most maturity. What they found was, according to their research, the input goal of reading the Bible on a regular basis was one of the greatest predictors to maturity across all output goals. To put it this way, reading your Bible positively affects your ability to consistently obey God, deny self, serve God and others, share Christ, exercise your faith, seek God, build relationships, and be unashamed about your faith to the world. It's the one factor. So I, I just be really open and practical. I say it all the time, like, what does it look like for you? And how committed are you divulging, devoting yourself? That's a pretty strong word, devoting oneself to the Word of God. Like, do you have time to set aside? We have time to set aside for a lot of other things. I'll just be uh, honest with you. Something that's really helped me this week, year, I'm, this year in, in January, I've done it. It's something called a monk manual. It sounds really funny. I've given them out to a couple of people. It, it's just for me, it takes every day I get centered. I wake up in the morning, I spend time. It's not just about, it's not even actually a Christian thing. It's just that I'm spending time in the morning 
devoting myself to that day, devoting myself to the Lord. Lord, what are you putting on my heart for me to do today? Then at the end of the day, you're coming back and say, how did it go? What am I thankful for? Where did you move? And it's been one of the richest Januaries I've had because I'm devoting myself to make sure I'm going before the Lord daily. And I mess up and I miss three days in a row, man. Okay, God's grace is there and that's amazing. I'm just asking the question, what do you have in place to devote yourself to the word of God to stand firm in the faith? That's my only question. And then he says that we should be corporately devoting ourselves to the word of God. This is important. I don't want you to hear me to say like, this isn't important because if you only do this, you'll be malnutrition. Can I tell you that this is vitally important? He says, like, like commit yourselves to the public reading of scriptures. Like, this is important. God uses us in miraculous and amazing ways most of the time when Pastor Alex is preaching, but that's fine. They're both important. And so my call for you is, man, we, we want to be people that keep the faith, but we have to be watch on our life and our doctrine. And all of that comes through the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaking to us through the Word of God. So what does that look like for you? Like I said a couple weeks ago, man, if you don't have a family plan, a couple people emailed me, and I'm in the process of getting together with them. Like, if you don't have a family plan of how men, you're leading your family spiritually or just in life, man, reach out to me. I'd love to connect with you on that. And if you don't have a plan of, that seems really audacious to you to read the Bible daily, just weekly, whatever it looks like for you, man, I, again, I open myself and our staff to you that you might be able to see what it looks like to go before the Lord, be grounded in the faith so that when the, the craziness of life comes, you have an anchor that holds firm in the word of God and Christ himself. Let's pray together. God, thanks for um, a, a, a time we can just go before you and celebrate even what we're about to sing, God, that, that your word remains. It's been thousands of years, and your word still remains today. And it's profitable. It's good. It's, it's alive, as it says in the word of God. It, it, you... Jesus, are the word of God, and you speak to us, as John 1 says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and you give us the living word. So God, would you even speak to us now as we sing and close on our service? We ask that you would be glorified above all else, in Jesus' name.